Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah is about a book of the people of God who are living in exile, living apart from their homeland, living uh, the death of a dream of a Jerusalem. And a man, Nehemiah, not a leader, uh, not a spiritual priest or anything super powerful, he is has a desire. He hears about the walls of Jerusalem completely broken down and destroyed and he weeps and he grieves and he asked and he prays and in chapter 2 he took an opportunity to talk to Artaxerxes the Persian king to if he could go back and rebuild the walls and he is answered with the affirmative and in chapter 3 it goes through the building of the wall it was built through regular everyday people uh, in Jerusalem, building the wall. In chapter 4, we talked about opposition and difficulty when we're building God's kingdom. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and many other enemies opposed what he was doing because they're going to be rebuilding God's city and re reconnecting God's people. And there's always people who oppose that. In chapter 5, God, Nehemiah shows that God cares about money and stewardship because the people in Jerusalem were fighting and bickering and starving and using each other instead of loving each other for money. In chapter 6, Nehemiah uh, faces increasing opposition. They are now just trying to kill him, trying to... Uh, ruin his reputation and there's always going to be opposition when you're doing God's work and last week we talked about the principles of life and leadership when the people came back right about 50,000 people returned last week because the city was rebuilt right the temple was rebuilt the walls were rebuilt so people came from Babylon to return to their ancient city. So that's kind of where we are. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Forgive me, I'm a little sick, so if I am sniffing a little bit and you take more water than usual, or if I say anything blasphemous, just give me a pass on this week. I, don't, I will try not to do that. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gates. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it, he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside, beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Nechilja, Hashum, 
Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, the people stood. Let's stand and do what these people did as we hear God's word. This is what they do when the law was read. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also Jeshua, Benaiah, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shebathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Halita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Haliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so the people could understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites called all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the, fe the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in the courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly. According to the rule, you may be seated. God bless his word. <clears throat> So, those of you who know me, and some of you don't, know that I am a very passionate thing. And one of the things I'm really into right now, and for the last several years, is Bitcoin. I love it because it's non-governmental, free market money. And I have read about it, read, I read about it, I check the the ticker on it almost every single day. 
I read podcasts about it, listen to podcasts about it. Uh, as, as many as there are available, I listen to them. I spend my money on it. I spend my time on it. I talk to others about it. And I believe that it can change the world. Now, the, the point of my sermon and the scripture passage is worship. What do we worship? I definitely like Bitcoin, but I've looked on the Twitter feeds and different people. Some people worship Bitcoin as their savior. Now, what is worship? What is worship? Worship literally means what we bow down to. It also means what we adore and revere. What we love most. What do we value highest? What do we think will make us happy? That is worship. And worship is not an optional thing. All people worship. We're made that way. We're made to worship. Now, this can be the true God, but it can be many other things that we worship. Like in my analogy, people can worship Bitcoin. People can worship sports. They can worship comfort. They can worship pleasure. They can worship sex or food or celebrity or parents or children or spouse or money or power or entertainment. If an alien came to Earth and saw us all on our phones, the, the amount of time that we are on the TV, what do you think they would say that we worship? They would say we worship that, right? Now, of course, many of us don't, but we spend so much time on those things that from somebody from the outside looking in, they would say they worship this. This is their God. This is what they love. And we spend so much time on screens, people would think that we worship phones or computers or TV. I mean, even things like shows like American Idol. Idol is a false god that you worship, right? That's why that, that person becomes like a god if you're an idol. Now, these things, none of these things, they all have a place. In our lives, they can be gifts that we can enjoy. But they make terrible gods. They make terrible gods because they twist us into the things and they twist our minds and our personalities and they make us addicts instead of enjoying a gift. Because we all have a God-shaped hole in our life. We all have this. We were made this way. And people will look anywhere for anything to fill that hole. And they'll fill it with all the things I mentioned. It, And you know what? It is not satisfying at all. But they will search because they're trying to fill that hole that God made for us to worship Him. We were actually made to worship the true God. To worship Yahweh. Because he's the only one that can fill that hole who's big enough and powerful enough and beautiful enough to fill that hole completely and leave us satisfied. Nothing else can do that. And many of us have tried. 
Right? I've tried other things to fill that hole. Maybe you've tried other things to fill that hole. And those things make terrible gods because they are unsatisfying. They're deeply unsatisfying at that level of worship. So, let's get more into the text now. That's what worship is. So, my first point, or my second point rather, is the word generates worship. So like I said, 50,000 people are back from Babylon. A small percentage of the people returns. And they all come to the square of the city. And Ezra, who is a contemporary of Nehemiah, if you look at the previous book, Ezra, right? it talks more about his story, but Ezra shows up in Nehemiah as well. He is a priest and a scribe. He's one of the first mentioned in the Old Testament as a scribe. You see that a lot more in Jesus' time. A scribe was someone who copied down the Bible. Copied down the Torah in this instance. Because you couldn't you couldn't get an app on your iPhone, right? You didn't have the Gutenberg press. You had no way to copy except for by hand, which is a painstaking pro- problem. So he's the first one mentioned. And Nehemiah, like I said before, is a political leader, but Ezra is more like the spiritual leader. So he is asked to bring up the Torah. Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Right? This is the most important scriptures to Jews until this day. If you actually in Jesus' time, there's a group of people, the Sadducees, who only believed that the Torah was the Bible. The other books of the writings and the prophets, they didn't believe those were scripture. But the Torah, among all groups until now, is the most important books in the Bible. So he's asked to bring it out. In verse 2, all who can understand, listen. This is men, this is women, this is probably older kids who can understand. And he read all morning. Right? To read the Torah takes about six and a half hours. That's what I did from early morning till about midday. To read those five books takes a long time. And what's interesting is it says everyone listened carefully. Probably no one in that congregation had ever read the Torah before or even heard the Torah being read. Because that's why God sent them into captivity in the first place, because they were not obeying God. So, to be heard, he was on a platform, and he had men on his right and on his left to help when he needed a break. When you're reading for six and a half hours, you might need a break. Right? You might need a drink of water. That's a long time to be reading. So these people were on his right and left, maybe to help him if he needed a break. Maybe you stand in and do some reading. And the people, as we did, the people stood out of reverence to the Torah. Right? This is kind of their in essence of worshiping God through the reading of the Torah. And in verse 6, Ezra praises God. The people agree by saying, Amen. That means, yes, I agree. 
They lifted up their hands as surrender to God. This is why some people do this in worship. I do this in worship. Uh, I do it because I'm surrendering to God. Right? It's like when, when somebody has a gun to you head, you put your hands up. When we, with God, we surrender completely to Him. So when I worship, I surrender to Him with my hands up. Worshiping God, right? And their faces were down. Right? When you're looking at the true God, they were, there's a sense of, of unworthiness, right? That we have when we're with the true and perfect and holy God. And then number seven, another group had special learning to listen and to teach and to explain and to have it make sense. And they also read with Ezra and gave the idea to make people understand. This is the beginning of what we do. This is preaching, right? I'm hopefully trying to make this make sense of what the scripture says. And well, this was happening all the way back then when the Torah was being read. These people were coming around and saying, here's what this means. Because if you've read the Torah, if you've read Leviticus or Deuteronomy, they can be challenging books to read. So people worship God at the reading of the word. The people knew it was God's word, so they attached special meaning, meaning to it. Like I said, most people never have never heard it in that group. Few copies, it was challenging to understand. Most people were probably not literate. Today, it's it's almost the opposite. We have more exposure to the Bible. We have so many books of the Bible. We have apps on our phone to read the Bible. We have podcasts and we have audios of the Bible. Probably more copies than ever in history if you count the digital copies. Most people can read in our society. But you can see here that there's actually less interest than these people who had never heard it before. Now, maybe that's because of familiarity, right? But we were made to worship God, right? And the best way to know him and worship him as he is, is the Bible, right? You have to know who he is to worship him. And how do you know him outside of the word of God? You cannot, right? Otherwise, your definition of God is going to be some definition of any other person on the street. Well, I think God loves me. I think God is some sort of spiritual being, whatever it is. I actually, I told the story before, but I had a good friend in one of my life groups years ago. And uh, my friend, her dad, she was telling about her dad got divorced. And he had decided to divorce his wife and marry somebody who was half of his age. And his rationale was that, well, God loves me and wants me to be happy. Now, ironically, that brought him probably much more misery than he could ever have imagined because he was estranged from his family. No one wanted to talk to him anymore. 
And he also made up a God that God does love us and want us to be happy, but that's the Bible is very clear about to stay married to your wife, right? Till death do us part. God hates divorce, it says. So this person was not worshiping the God of the Bible. He is worshiping God in his own making. That's why God wants us, it says, Jesus says in John, that we're supposed to worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? And you you get when you believe in God, the Spirit illuminates the Word and allows us to understand what is written. Without the Word, we will not know who we're worshiping. And the Word is powerful. It is full of promises and power and protection that leads us to worship Him. Right? There's a few I wrote down. You know, is Jesus. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always. I have plans for you for a hope and a future. Knowing Jesus is eternal life now and forever. And he is the fountain of living water. And there's a thousand more. His good and faithful promises. And that should help us to know God and worship him for who he is as not only our creator, the one who made all of us, who made everything that we see and enjoy, but he also redeemed us through the blood of Jesus, right? We were walking our own way, and Jesus brought us back. He bought us back through his life and his death and his resurrection on the third day. So I want to encourage you to read the word to know and worship God. There are many tools we have. I was talking to people at Life Group. I've been recently using the Bible app as a way for me to get my scripture in and to pray. It has this two-part like word of the day with uh, a video and the scripture and a devotional on it. And it helps me the temptation I have as a pastor is a double dip, right? To use Nehemiah as my intellectual Bible reading and not really focus on God for who he is rather than my work. But that helps me to do that. That's a great tool. There's scripture reflections. There's Bible in a year plans. I've done them many times. And as you read the word, or hear the word, you will know him and worship him because he is the one that can satisfy you. And you look through the pages of scripture, you will see that God is somebody who, who longs and desires to have a relationship with us. This is not just the New Testament. The Old Testament talks about God being like a lover to the people of Israel. And it wants to be exclusive, exclusive relationship as God being their God and the people being his bride. He can satisfy your deepest desires as a person. He's the most important being in the universe. right? This is what God wants from you. What God wants from you, you want to know how do I worship and know God? He wants you to know him. He wants you to have a relationship with them. He wants you to connect with him. He wants you to know him and love him. This is what he wants from you, ladies and gentlemen, more than anything else. 
So I want to encourage you, if you are now reading the Bible on a daily basis, if the Bible reading is not regularly leading you to worship, I'm not saying every day, of course there's days where you're kind of just going through the motions, and that's very normal as human beings, but there should be times as you read the Word that God shows Himself to you in some way, speaks to you in some way. This is what God wants. It's not about doing things for God. Worship Him. It's a ref- like I said, uh, maybe it was during the announcements. It's a reflection of His great love for us. We reflect that by worshiping Him for who He is and what He's done. So if you have questions about the Bible and how do you read it, how do you understand it, I would be happy, many of our leadership team would be happy to connect with you about that. It doesn't need to take, you don't need to do six and a half hours like Ezra did a day. Right? You could just, even if you started with five minutes, right? If you don't have five minutes in your day, your schedule is too tight, right? You can start with five minutes, read a chapter of the Bible, and pray for a couple minutes. And of course, you, we want it to grow from there. But we're not asking you to all to, you to be scholars, but just to, to know God. Right? That's, that's the believer's hope is knowing God truly and fully. So the word generates worship. Additionally, joy generates worship. All the people recognized that this was a unique time because the Torah was read, people were listening, and it was being preached. They called it a holy day. The first time probably in a thousand years. A thousand years the word had not been read. Because the, the Feast of Booth was not kept since the days of Joshua the son of Nun, which was a thousand years before the time of Nehemiah. So, it was not only holy, but a time of celebration. Because God is working in and among his people again. Now it's interesting, everyone says, don't weep. Because everyone was weeping. Why do we think they are weeping? Probably the conviction of sin, right? It's like we didn't read this for a thousand years and we hear the word of God and it's convicting our hearts. And probably for dropping the ball because if you read the Torah, it talks about blessing and cursings, right? And the cursings, if you forsake me, you will be scattered among the nations, which is exactly what happened. So probably there's a lot of uncomfortable crying and mourning and weeping and grieving. For allowing their nation to be taken through their lack of worship of God. They were grieved by their sin and where they are currently. But in verse 10 it says this is a celebration time. Because this is unique. Yes, of course, and I'm going to talk about this in my application. We grieve over sin. But in this section, he says, no, we need to celebrate this, right? We need to kill the fatty calf, so to speak. We need to eat good food. We need to eat great drinks. We need to give to those who don't have. Right? They were family. 
So no one goes without. And it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So in verse 11, Levites, who were the, one of the tribes of Israel, and they were dedicated to serving the temple and the Lord. And the sons of Aaron, who were the priests, also of the tribe of Levi, but the sons of Aaron, Moses' brother, were designed to be um, the priests of God, who would officiate sacrifices. But they would stand there as sacrifices were made to God to remove sin or to worship him. They were, the, they were officiated that. But there's a lot of mourning and grieving, because they keep saying it. A lot of mourning and grieving had to be stopped. Because these people were freaking out. They actually saw the word of God and God being reflected in his word. And it was just, they're, they're, they were completely melting down. Because they saw what they had done, and they saw the beauty of God's word, and that had, no one had heard it before. So he had several times he had to stop the people from crying and mourning and grieving. But after the after they would calm down, the people did celebrate. They ate, they drank, they gave to one another. They celebrated because. The celebration part is because they actually understood God's word. Right? They were reading it, it was being taught to them, and they were all attentive to it. So that's why Ezra said, this is a time to celebrate because God is speaking to us through his word again. So, like I said, conviction of sin is good. This is how God shows us what we are doing wrong and gives us power and motivation to change. Right? God convicts us of sin. There's things in our life that are not pleasing to God. And God, in his, in his, through maybe through people or through reading, reading the word, God will convict you of sin. God will say, you, this is not living unto me. And that will, that will grieve your heart. But that will lead to rejoicing because God is the one who not only shows us our sin, but he also empowers us to change. Right? It's not about working hard, trying harder, do better. That does not work in God's economy. It's about surrendering to God and saying, hey, this is not right, God. Help me to change in this area. And God will help you to change. And that will lead to rejoicing. That God spoke to you in your conviction. He gave you power to change. Right? That's why it's a holy day, they called it. Set apart is what holy means. Separate, which is described as God. Because God is not like men in their sin, limitations, and weaknesses. A holy day means a day set apart for God. And it's a day of celebration. We need to celebrate when God speaks to you through the word. Because joy in the gifts of God is a form of worship. Now, celebrating does not mean gluttony or drunkenness. You can enjoy food and drink or two without sinning. To be clear, celebrating does not mean sinning against the Lord. 
Celebrate means to give thanks to God, which is a form of worship. You know, we give thanks to the Lord our God and King, His love endures forever. That's worship. God gives us grace in Jesus to change and understand by the Holy Spirit. So we can celebrate. As believers, we should be the happiest people. Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This guy went to a lot of parties. Now, he did not sin, but he was where the people were. And we as believers should celebrate and thank God for all he's given us. We should worship him for his gifts of food and drink. Like all the things I've mentioned that people worship, they can also be, we can also understand them as gifts that God's given to us and to enjoy them appropriately. Because joy in the Lord leads us to bow down and to honor him because what's more important, the gift or the giver of the gift? Right, when I give my kids gifts for Christmas, I don't want them to worship the, the gift. I want them to love me. Right? I want them to love me because I gave this to them. I sacrificed for them. Right? The giver of the gifts is more important than the gift itself. Right? So we worship the giver for the gifts he gives us. Amen? Because he is the one who gives us power to change. And my final point is that obedience also generates worship. <coughs> so in verse 13, the heads of the clans the next day went to study more from the law. They wanted, this was a powerful moment, they wanted to go back. And likely either Ezra taught them or other people were teaching some could probably read these were the heads of the houses, so they probably were the most educated. And they valued the word enough to come back after six hours of preaching, six hours of the Bible being read. Right? Five minutes late and people are at the door. But these people were committed. They came back the next day. And in verse 14, they saw... They read that this next day was also the day that the Feast of Booths should be celebrated. Now, the Feast of Booths, there's three feasts in the Bible. This is one of them in the Old Testament. This is, it symbolized two things, the Feast of Booths. It was, also, it was harvest time, first of all. So it's a celebration to God because God provides the harvest. We worship him for that. Recognizing that everything comes from God. Like an, and an offering is given. Like the first fruits, if you heard that phrase, that was literally came from the Feast of Booth where people grew their crops and they gave the first fruits of their actual crop to God as a sacrifice. It also was used, because booths can be translated as either tabernacle or tents. The people were designed during this time were to make temporary shelters from leaves and branches, which symbolized their 40 years of wandering in the desert. And it says that you know God provided for them. The, the straps of their sandals did not wear out for 40 years. 
And he lived in booths like this. So it's saying, which is, the Exodus is one of the, the most important stories in the Old Testament. Right? So it's saying, first of all, you're celebrating God for the harvest. Second of all, you're remembering what God has done, leading you through the desert and providing for them. So they were in booths for a week. And only three times a year was this, oh, this, this is a commandment of the Lord. This wasn't like an optional thing. It was a commandment. And there's only three times a year, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, which is another harvest, and the giving of the Torah. So in verse 16, all the people made booths on houses and in any open space. And the whole assembly, the whole congregation did it. Right? Every single one. Like I said, since Joshua conquered the land a thousand years ago, it hadn't been done. Because people hadn't read the Torah for a thousand years. So people rejoiced and worshipped in obeying God in this feast. And every day of the feast, the people read from the Torah. They did it for seven days, and the eighth day, they assembled in a serious way before God and sacrificed to Him. So obedience to the Word also leads to worship. They all rejoiced that they were able to observe God's commands. Once God empowers you, we need to obey. It's not We don't force ourselves to obey, but God gives us the strength and power, but we need to make that choice and say, I'm going to obey God in this. Whatever that thing you're thinking about right now, that's the thing. Obedience is worship. right? We, and we often focus on our sin and weakness because we need to grow. But we should think about areas as well of how God has empowered us to obey in the past. And that will motivate us and inspire us to obey God more in the future. If you look at five, ten years ago, I'm a very different person. You know, I was still a Christian then and am now. God has allowed me to obey in different areas, which helps me when there's future areas that I need to obey Him in. He will empower me and strengthen me. So think about how you obey, how you overcome sin in your life. And then thank God and worship Him for empowering you. Because as we obey God, right, Jesus said, they will know your my disciples. This is my commandment I give to you, that you love one another, right? So you need to obey that because you want people to know that we are Jesus' disciples. That's a commandment. That's what you need to obey that. So we need to thank God and worship Him for empowering you. 20 years ago, I was a Christian. I was in university. And I came downstairs in the morning. One of my good friends, he was having a cup of coffee and reading his Bible and praying. And I had no idea, even though I was a Christian, I didn't know what this was. And he explained to me, I'm having devotion. I'm spending some time reading and praying and having a cup of coffee. And it totally exploded in my brain. So I had no idea this is what we're supposed to do as Christians. 
But I am, I thank God that that person was in my life to show me that and changed my life in a dramatic and massive way because I started to obey that and spent time with the Lord. And I grew in incredible ways that I would not have had I not obeyed. So we need to obey, and that will lead to worship. And we need to reflect on past obedience and how that has brought life to repel you towards more obedience. In conclusion, Ben, you can come up. We all worship someone or something. The question is, who or what do you worship? We need to worship the Lord, the only one who can fill the hole in our hearts made for him. The word of God leads to worship because it shows his greatness and promises and love and holiness. We also worship through joy. All the good things in life that we enjoy and get pleasure from are from God. Right? Every good and every perfect gift comes from the Lord, the Father of lights, it says in James. And we also worship through obedience. When God empowers us to change, it leads us to worship Him knowing He is the true God in our hearts. Let's stand up and, and we'll pray. God, I thank you so much that the people in this room, we worship you, the one who can satisfy us deeply and profoundly, who can meet our greatest needs. I pray that you would just, you would be with us, that we would go deeper into our worship of you, that we would trust you more and love you more and rejoice in you and obey you. Thank you for this group. Thank you for this congregation. That these are people who I know are friends and love you. I pray that they would grow in love with you, even as the demands of life squeeze them in many ways. I pray that they would still know that you are their God that's holding their hand through every struggle in this life. And we can worship you on the mountaintop and in the valley. We love you, Jesus. We ask for us in your great name. Amen. Amen. We'll sing one final song and I'll give the benediction.